Hello and welcome to the Yoga with Molly Off the Mat podcast. I'm your host Molly and in this podcast we talk all things yoga and life off of the mat. Let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of season three. I should say ahead of time I am relaxing next to my little baby boy at the moment. We are having a Friday morning lion. So if you hear his little breathing in the background or any um, other kind of, well, he's not at an age yet where officially he's doing things like cooing and babbling. Not that I'm even really sure exactly what that means as a first-time parent, but if you hear any sweet little noises coming from him, um, that is what go is going on. He's hanging out with me today while I um, while I record. Um, what is happening with me generally? You may have noticed that the last two episodes, quote unquote, were in fact not podcast episodes, but short yoga nidra practices for um, postpartum people. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, as as context, and I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast. I don't think so. Um, but everything is a blur the last year. <laughs> um, I did uh, a specialist yoga teacher training um, a few days before my due date in um, the art and science of yoga nidra, which for anyone who is unfamiliar with the practice... Um, a yoga nidra actually means uh, yogic sleep. And I guess the best way to think about it, if you haven't practiced it before, um, is almost like a different style of meditation and relaxation. Um, so typically a nidra practice involves kind of progressive relaxation of the body. So you might typically scan around different areas of the body and um uh kind of consciously relax them so you know consciously relaxing you know your left arm and then your left leg and that kind of thing um and then the relaxation um sequences can be quite detailed all the way down to you know relax you know the right thumb and the right index finger and and that kind of thing um and yeah they they can incorporate various different physical modalities so you know relaxation being one of them um you might be using imagery so you know imagining yourself by a you know lovely beach or something like that so um it's a really lovely restorative practice that typically does not involve a use of uh much let's say physical exertion i guess arguably any position that one finds oneself in could be described as an asana, which is a physical yogic posture. <laughs> you know, whether you do the practice sitting down or lying down, you know, arguably both of those are, are yoga postures as well. But um, in, a, in a relaxed position and there typically isn't any moving around and um, you may find yourself falling asleep um, during the practice, which can uh, be quite lovely. <laughs> so anyway, um, I uh, did a training in that and while typically the yoga nidra um, that you might offer would you know range from kind of 15 minutes to an hour in length um, I thought I would build a few shorter variations so these are both the types of things that you that a teacher might include at the end of a yoga class as part of a slightly longer meditation or shavasana so varying you know from a couple of minutes through to you know five six seven eight minutes in length um or also that someone could practice as a standalone practice when they're short on time and with that in mind my inspiration for creating a couple of these as testers was life in postpartum I constantly feel like I only have you know seconds <laughs> to get things done um, in the middle of the night last night, as an example, I've started prepping my breakfast when me and my husband do the 3 or 4 a.m. feed for the baby, because at least I know that my husband can hold the baby for a few minutes while I quickly go and make myself some porridge. 
Um, and then in the morning, well, I can either have it as um, overnight oats style and have it cold from the fridge, um, or I can just reheat it. Um, you know, so I just have to press a button on a microwave a couple of times in order to be able to eat because it's just not possible when um, baby's dad is not here for me to be preparing food. It's just not happening, at least not right now. Um, I'm still I'm still learning as a new mum and I'm still, you know, learning how to multitask and figure everything out and 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 also, you know, learn about my baby. Um things that help him sleep and um things that keep him up. Evidently recording a podcast helps him sleep because he is looking pretty relaxed next to me now after wriggling around loads prior to starting to record. Um so yeah check it out. I am moving those two mini episodes, a four minute nidra and a six minute nidra into a yoga for, you know, postpartum life um, playlists. I'll share that at some point on my, um, probably my Instagram. So whether you are someone who um, has just had a baby, perhaps you're pregnant or you know someone who sits in um, one or both of those categories, feel free to share it with them. Um, they're, uh, they're just short, snappy practices that, um, you know, might, might be really helpful. Um, okay, more to come on that, more to come on Yoga Nidra. I'm still figuring out how I offer that out as I'm looking at the landscape. So as someone who, you know, if I'm looking to find Yoga Nidra for myself, um, there doesn't seem to be the same abundance of it digitally as uh, kind of, you know, flow yoga, other styles of yoga, and even in-person classes are quite hard to come by. So um, it feels like there's a really wide open space to create really cool stuff. Um, but I just don't know, A, if people really know what yoga nidra is. <laughs> uh, and for that reason, if there's really much demand for it. So I'm still trying to figure out you know, how I can offer this out. Um, but I can talk about that in, in another episode uh, about, yeah, uh, Yoga Nidra specifically. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. So last week was the first episode on postpartum um, life and I talked a lot about feeding, um, breastfeeding, expressing breast milk, formula feeding, um, just kind of my experiences um, more than anything. I think if you're looking for specific um, you know, research into any of these areas, there is so much written um, about it that you can kind of go and go and do your own research. So I really just wanted to keep the focus on what my story and journey had, had been and, and what that lived experience can look like for a new parent, um, you know, in, in case it's, it's helpful. I'll say as a quick update, um, we've had another really good week, actually. We've been practicing more direct latching so um latching directly onto the breast for breastfeeding and it's been going really well and has been really special and I, I I'd say um there's things I like about all methods of feeding um and I was clear about this I hope in last week's episode formula feeding expressed um breast milk and direct latching um there's things that me and my husband and the baby um, in, enjoy about each of those things. I'd have to say the thing that I think probably myself and the baby enjoy the most is direct breast feeding. Um, um, so I'm trying to increase that. I don't know if we'll get to a place of exclusively breastfeeding, but I'm trying to increase, um, how often we're able to, to do that. Um, yeah, I guess also not just me and baby, but husband as well. <laughs> it reduces washing up um, and the need to sterilize and especially in the middle of the night, get out of bed and do all of these things and heat up a bottle. Um, so it is it is a little bit more stress-free. Um, 
baby seems so happy <laughs> during and after in a way that he seems very happy during and after a bottle as well. Um, but he he does seem to have a slight preference for it. So that's it's just it's lovely to be able to give him something that he um, clearly really likes. And yeah, so I don't know, it does feel good hormones flying everywhere when we're able to do that. So we've increased it a little bit. Um, I'm building my confidence, baby is building his confidence. And we're a happy family that continues to combination feed with all three of those things. Um, but I think it's also okay, no matter where you started in your journey, to have goals and ambitions and dreams. And for some people that is, you know, they have a goal to end um, a specific type of feeding by a certain time. Um, you know, I know lots of mums who were keen to transition from breast milk to formula feeding exclusively um, by a certain point. Um, others who want to transition formula milk out if it was something that was introduced, people who love pumping, people who hate pumping. So um, all walks of life and style of doing things. But that's that's where we are and uh, still finding our feet. Enough about that, though. The thing that I had wanted to share today was a little bit more about the birth story. Um, people always ask about the birth story <laughs> and are interested in the birth story. And specifically, what role can yoga play in your birth story. Um, when I was pregnant, I did a pre and postnatal yoga teacher training. And certainly in the prenatal portion of it, you know, labor and delivery is a big part of what attracts people to prenatal yoga. Typically, it's, you know, a wanting to find a form of exercise that is, is uh, safe um, for pregnancy or designed, uh, for pregnancy. And, and that seems to be one, um, that is, you know, more readily available than others, um, with, with good kind of well-populated classes so that you can meet other, um, soon to be parents that are local to you as well. Um, so it can be a way to kind of, you know, stay, um, you know, well and healthy and, and and meet people actually. I'll say that's one of the biggest drives actually <laughs> is wanting to meet other um people who are going to have a baby, probably, you know, similar similar time frame um to you. Uh, and I remember myself going to um prenatal classes in person. I would have talked about it during the second season um of of, of the podcast. Um and it's wild to me to imagine that most of those uh, women have now had their babies. I think the last one I went to, I was about 20 weeks. Uh, I met a lady who would have been maybe 14 weeks. But yeah, even then, it's very likely that she is having her baby now or any day if she hasn't already. I'm not sure. Um, so people come to prenatal yoga for community, to stay fit and well. Um, and the other thing is uh, to prepare for labor um you know to essentially the common goals are to have an easier um more comfortable um labor and delivery of their baby so they're really hoping that they can uh widen their hips and um engage their pelvic floor and uh various other things in order to help them um, bring their baby into the world. Now, I say that um, with the proviso that those descriptions are uh, very often for a vaginal delivery um, of baby. And what I became so aware of when I was doing my pre and postnatal yoga teacher training, at least here in the UK, I think the number of people who deliver abdominally, so having a cesarean section, varies from, I mean, some sources are kind of 20, 25%, all the way up to 40%. Um, it's quite high. And I remember thinking when I went to a birth class with my husband um, prior to us having our baby, and we were discussing with the birth teacher, um, you know, coping with intensity during labor and different modes of supports that are available from unmedicated 
Um, so, you know, be it, you know, use of combs, um, pressing down on combs, actually, if you're not familiar with it, <laughs> um, uh, all the way through to kind of medicated forms of pain relief. So things like an epidural, um, and we did talk about things like cesarean as part of that. So, um, we went round in a circle, I remember, and people shared their birth plans, um, with the group. And we were a group of 10 couples, um, you know, uh, birthing people and their um, support person, um, very often their spouse or partner or the baby's father. And other than, I think, two of the women, uh, most in the circle were planning for a largely unmedicated vaginal delivery. And for the two that I mentioned, they were also planning for a vaginal delivery, um, but had already decided ahead of time that they would be opting for an epidural if it would be available. Um, and I remember as they went around in the circle thinking, if the statistics are right, at least four of us will have a cesarean <laughs> and more than two will be getting an epidural. And the number of, you know, people who have an, an unmedicated vaginal delivery will be quite small. So, you know, you, you have this hugely high proportion of people <laughs> whose um, birth experience will not line up with their birth plan. And I mean, arguably, it's rare anyway, because you can't plan exactly when your body is going to do what or what it's going to need or how you're going to respond, um, you know, uh, to to this this kind of thing. But I, I just I remember having the sense of, wow, um, you know, this I, 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 don't, I can't even explain what it is. I, I just remember thinking, I hope other people, I hope the people in the room know that, because I knew it, I had a birth plan, and um, my birth plan was hugely comforting to me, and made me feel empowered, and um, made me feel um, connected to the baby, I guess, you know, like, really setting an intention for how they would come into the world, um, and Ultimately, the other thing I'd say during training is when I was reflecting on all of these things, um, and I may have shared this previously as well, in terms of what we recommend as yoga teachers, and I use the term loosely because we are not doctors or midwives, <laughs> um, but we will sometimes get asked, you know, um, how do you feel about this? What do you think about that? Uh, you know, postnatally, what do you see in women who have had a home birth versus an epidural versus a C-section, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I would say the best place for a person to give birth is where they feel safest. Um, I think feeling safe during birth, and again, not a medical doctor, and I don't have medical scientific sources to back up what I'm about to say next. Um, I think feeling safe during labor and delivery can have a real impact on the physiological process itself. You know, they say you need lots of love hormone, oxytocin to be flowing um, in order for labor to progress. Um, not always uh, the case in the sense that I'm sure there's many people who have had very rapid births who were not feeling lovely and relaxed. <laughs> um, but certainly it, you know, it, it can help. Um, so, you know, fe feeling safe. Um, midwives will often also say feeling unobserved, you know, not having lots of chaos happening around you um, is, is, is important and is helpful. Um, so, um, there's that to think about and, you know, you need, you need to, you need to feel safe for oxytocin to flow, um, for labor and delivery to progress, but it's also about feeling safe in the context of what life looks like afterwards. Um, any stories that I heard of a traumatic birth, I would say, um, 
you could have two people who experienced the same thing and for one person they found it traumatic and for the other one they didn't and very often it came down to how in control, informed, empowered, psychologically safe or physically safe they felt in the moment. Um, so, you know, one person could have an episiotomy performed on them and feel really positive about that, you know, like, yes, let's intervene, let's get the baby out. Um, you know, I'm part of this decision and uh, I'm advocating for it. And then for other people, it could feel rushed. They might not understand the context or why it was necessary. Um, you know, loose loose communication, um, not trusting of the people looking after them. So, you know, physiologically, you've had two people experience the same thing with the same degree of um, intervention and recovery, but two very different experiences afterwards. And if you are managing a degree of trauma um, after birth, of, of course, that's going to feed into what life feels like when you're at home with baby. Um, if you are not eating, not sleeping, <laughs> um, worrying about baby, and then, you know, you have this added layer of I'm processing this tough experience I've, that I've had, um, you know, of, of, of course, that's that's really really hard um so anyway um that as as context people are very interested in birth stories and doing as much as they can to prepare and and try and get the stars to align with their birth plan as much as uh, as possible so um for today all all i will do is i'll share my own birth story. Um, I may speak briefly about the birth plan, but ultimately I want to share the birth story with you so that you have an, an accurate idea of what that can look like. Um, oh, dropped my phone. <laughs> so um, let's get into the story itself. I was coming up on almost two weeks past my due date and a few weeks earlier my midwife had said to me um you know typically once someone is <laughs> drop my phone again <laughs> hang on let me hold it with my other hand the issue at the moment for me is that I have slightly sore wrists and arms from holding a baby all the time that um I, <laughs> I'm a little bit weaker than usual. Anyway, uh, my midwife had said we typically offer an induction of birth um, after about two weeks, I think at 12 days overdue. Um, and should we book you in for that? And I really didn't think that I would make it to 12 days overdue. Um, as a first time parent, I was expecting five days overdue. Uh, my own mother had been 10 days overdue um, with me and another one of my siblings. So um, I was expecting potentially to go up to 10 days overdue. But, you know, the other thing is I um, I also believed as a yoga teacher and as someone who had done so much research and was so well informed and had been to birthing classes and all this kind of stuff that uh, that it would somehow be in my control um, how overdue the baby would be if I just did loads of walking and loads of yoga and um, all of the other old wives tales. I was eating six dates a day and bouncing on a birthing ball and doing all of the things that, um, you know, that I wouldn't get to that point. So um, I, I, I said, yes, you know, book me in for the induction. Um, but I, I didn't think I would get to that point. Anyway, um, we got to 11 days overdue. <laughs> uh, so it was the night before the induction and I said to my husband, oh my goodness, I, I don't feel any different today than I have any other day. What are the chances that I'm going into labour tonight? And he said, I, I don't think high. And I said, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> there are zero signs that this baby is coming. And sure enough, baby didn't come. So we go into hospital the next day and 
I was not prepared or happy to be induced actually um I didn't realize how emotional it was for me until I got there and I remember the very first thing that they asked as I was kind of checking in was okay let's do a covid test <laughs> and then they wanted to do a blood test and I found even those simple procedures so overwhelming and scary because I was so incredibly anxious I said to my husband I I don't know how I'm going to cope with an induction because um, inductions can be pretty invasive and pretty uncomfortable. Um, and that's before the onset of labor, <laughs> which can be, um, you know, in, intense and painful. Um, so I had arrived at the hospital kind of half nine in the morning. Um, I... I'm not really sure where the time went, but after a couple of hours of me being anxious and, and kind of delaying procedures or I'm not sure what the word is, vamping maybe, <laughs> uh, I said to the midwife, is there any chance, because I, I also had an instinct um, that baby was going to be big. Um, my My community midwife assured me that she didn't think he would be, but I just had an instinct. Uh, and uh, it turns out I was right. <laughs> so, spoiler, he was a big baby, a big, big, healthy baby. We were so um, delighted, um, yeah, with how with how big and healthy he was when he was born. But um, I said to the midwife in the hospital, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this induction. And I remembered, you know the thing that I talked about in this podcast, you know, the the best place and time and way for a person to give birth is in a way that makes them feel safe. And there was something about the induction that just, I just couldn't, my body was, was so jittery. I said, this is not the way, you know, like it, you might be able to give me something to bring on labor, but I just don't feel safe. I feel, <laughs> I feel traumatized just talking about it. <laughs> Never mind going through with it. This isn't, this isn't the right option for me. Um, so I asked to, um, to have a chat with the midwife and I said, is cesarean delivery a possibility? And she said, well, let me get a consultant for you. So a consultant came to speak to me and the first question they asked, they said, have you considered cesarean in your pregnancy? And I remember, and I should say, any conversation past 11am that day for the next two hours was with me in tears because I was so frightened. And and bear in mind, I was not in labour. <laughs> I, was, I was still just a heavily pregnant woman. <laughs> um, and I said, no, I, I hadn't. I said, I, I've, I've, I'm well researched on cesareans. Um... But I, I had, you know, it wasn't in my plan. It's not something I'd asked for previously. I just said I didn't expect to be this overdue, and I don't feel right just continuing to wait and do nothing because I'm pretty sure baby's big, and I'm frightened that I'll struggle to birth him if he gets any bigger. So I, for me, I, I did feel urgency that he needed to come uh, sooner rather than later, and I said, and I. I'm not feeling safe with induction. Uh, Labour hasn't come on naturally. Um, so the other option on the table is cesarean. And even as I was asking about it, I it was the option between doing nothing, um, which is an option, by the way, um, or an induction or a cesarean. The cesarean was the one that made me feel the most safe and that I felt the most positive about um on the day and I just had to trust my own instincts there so um we had a chat with the consultant they said well you know ideally you haven't eaten or drank in six hours prior and at this point it was noon i had had breakfast about eight in the morning so they said okay good um stop drinking water at this point but we we could do it in the next few hours and I said, okay. There was a little bit of back and forth still. I said, oh, maybe let's do a quick internal examination, um, you know, just to see how things are progressing. If if you can see any dilation or anything else, 
um, you know, before we rule out induction. So there was a, a little bit of back and forth still, um, just checking to see if an induction is something that I could maybe come around to the idea of, but ultimately uh, I didn't. <laughs> so um, we planned a C-section for later that day. Now, long story short, um, I didn't end up having a cesarean that day because a couple of other women needed an emergency C-section. Um, and by the time I was next, it was kind of 6 p.m. that evening. Um, so it was decided that I would stay in the hospital overnight and hopefully be the first person uh, to go in for the procedure the next morning. Me and my husband felt pretty rough by the end of the day. I was still, you know, like I said, heavily pregnant, 10 months pregnant <laughs> um, at this point. You know, it was the end of the 12th day that I was overdue. Um, so I was 41 weeks and five days going into the sixth day. I hadn't eaten since 8am that morning, which um, I think for anyone to have not eaten by the time it gets to 6, 7pm since breakfast, you'd feel cranky. Um, when you're pregnant and anxious, <laughs> it, you know, I was I was feeling pretty rotten. Um, plus, I hadn't had any water um, since since lunchtime either. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the the kind of ward where you wait for your C-section is also the same ward you return to once you've delivered. And it's very warm. It's kept very warm. Um, to help babies when they've just been born uh, not to get too cold because they're still learning to regulate their own body temperature and they've come from this lovely warm environment uh, into the world and they need a little bit of help so um, you know me and my husband we took some selfies of ourselves while we were there waiting thinking that our baby was going to come that day and it looks like we have been for a run we are sweating profusely so you're very hot, uncomfortable, dehydrated, haven't eaten, anxious, scared, you know, excited to meet your baby, you have all this adrenaline going. So um, when we found out that the baby wasn't going to come that day and that we would, I would have to stay in overnight. Um, and then I think also for me, the idea that the next day I might have to not eat and drink again and there could be more emergency C-sections and um, all of that made me quite frightened. I thought, oh gosh, I, like two days in a row where I'm hardly eating feels scary and dangerous and, um, you know, more than just uncomfortable. So, um, and actually my husband had in his excitement <laughs> just forgotten to eat and drink. Um, I don't know if he did it deliberately in solidarity with me, but I think more likely he was just so buzzed on the idea that the baby was coming. And because I wasn't eating and drinking there weren't really reminders for him to eat and drink so um he felt so ill that night I remember I said to him could you quickly pop home and just bring me some um pajamas you know while I sleep here um and oh yeah he was horribly ill on the way on the way back <laughs> um anyway I'll spare you those details that's his story to tell <laughs> um but we were we were both feeling not great um but we felt good about our decision. We felt good about the path we were on, but it was not an easy path. <laughs> and I would say that part, the not eating and drinking and the hot room and the waiting was the was the worst part for me. Um, I found that much worse than the procedure itself, which I'll talk about a little bit in a minute. And I found it much worse than the recovery. <laughs> so um, if... Um, if you ever end up in a similar situation and mine, I guess, I, I don't know how common it is because I get the impression people either have an elective C-section um, where it's planned, you know, for quite some time in advance or an emergency C-section where it isn't. Mine was somewhere in between. Um, it was called a category three um, I think there are four categories of C-section. So it was not an emergency, but wasn't technically classified as an elective either. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it was a planned C-section. Anyway, so I stayed overnight. Um, interestingly, the ward where I stayed, it was me plus other women who had gone for an induction that day. 
So I kind of almost managed to peek through the veil to see what life would have been like had I opted for an induction because I was kind of, you know, side by side with them as they were having that experience um, overnight, which which was, uh, yeah, interesting. If you've seen the film Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. So, you know, I, I was able to see what would have happened if... Um, Anyway, I uh, I got the impression that some women were feeling really positive and empowered and others weren't, um, as with any birthing choice. Um, so again, no judgment on uh, on on those choices and, and what an induction can and, and does look like. Um, I was woken up in the night to take some antacids, which is something that you take to prevent buildup of stomach acid, um, helps you to not feel sick or be sick um, during your procedure. Um, the midwife woke me again at 6am and just reminded me to take a shower and dress back into my surgical gown and um, things like that in preparation. And uh, sure enough, we were the first people up that day. And by 9am, um, we were ready to go into theatre. Um, I had had a conversation with an anaesthetist prior who was wonderful, listened to all of my concerns. Um, my specific fear going into any kind of labour delivery situation, um, that and I should say, I still didn't go into labour. <laughs> so at this point, I'm 13 days overdue <laughs> with, uh, with not so much as a twinge. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, the anaesthetist listened to all of my fears, specifically my greatest fear was of nausea and vomiting um during the procedure i felt really confident that uh modern medicine would ensure that i was pain free during my cesarean um but where i was less confident is whether or not i would experience nausea or vomiting cuz i got the impression from speaking to other um people who had experienced a c section that that can be i don't know common uncommon i don't know um i've heard enough stories of people feeling sick and vomiting during and that j just really um un unnerved me i'm a bit of an emetophobe i'm scared of of nausea and vomiting and, and was the hardest part of pregnancy for me as well um in the first trimester so i had a great anesthetist um uh, me and my husband went back into the hot room <laughs> dressed in our uh, surgical attire. Um, we met the uh, surgeon who was to perform the procedure. She was wonderful. Um, and then we went in and we entered theatre at oh, two minutes to 10 in the morning. And baby was with us at 10.45. Um, I would say the first 20, 25 minutes or so were kind of preparing. You know, I was meeting people. So I met uh, the nurse who was just an amazing support person to both me and my husband. Um, she would kind of sit with me and hold my hand and ask questions. And um, while the anaesthetist was, um, I would say, probing my back, they give you a spinal injection, or at least they did for me, um, for my cesarean. So they're kind of spending a little bit of time checking out your back, having a feel around, um, figuring out what's going to go where. <laughs> um, so during that, the nurse was kind of chatting with me and, and you know, just coaching me and coaching my husband as well. Um, and just, just making sure that all of us were okay, because I think, you know, your birth support person is also at risk for feeling nauseous, sick, excited, faint, <laughs> having questions, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, coaching us, the anaesthetist was there, um, two surgeons, a, a pediatric doctor to check baby afterwards, a midwife, and I'm pretty sure a couple of other people <laughs> were there as well. A consultant popped their head in at one point. So, you know, I, I, we were slowly meeting lots of people. They weren't all there at once. It just started with anaesthetist and nurse and slowly one by one over the course of the next 25 minutes, a new person would be added to the room <laughs> um, every few minutes and we'd meet them and 
um, that was that was really nice. It was just, you know, one smiling face after the next coming in and, you know, answering any questions we had and explaining why they were there and who they were and introducing themselves. Um, so I, I really liked that. I felt so well taken care of. I just... Um, yeah, that, I don't know. I, I think for some people that may have felt very overwhelming and like, oh my goodness, this is so many people. And, um, I didn't feel that way at all. We just felt very special and very lucky to have that much support with us in the room. So that was positive. Um, the, um, spinal was, uh, I guess, successful and uncomplicated, um, I was nervous, but also I was so determined because I felt like my decision to have the cesarean was the right choice that I I I was just in a state of like hyper focus, like I will go anywhere that I need to in my mind in order to be able to see this through. Um, and I think that might be a common experience that people have for their chosen method of birth you know whether it's an unmedicated vaginal delivery or an induction of labor or a home birth or a hospital birth or any any kind of birth that you're having so that was definitely where my headspace was so I I nerves didn't overcome me um I I didn't feel any anxiety I just felt I felt calm I felt determined I felt really focused um I had a very brief moment of nerves when I felt the sensation from my legs going. Um, I think that that loss of control and the fact that, you, you know, that's it. Like you, you literally you can't get out, get up and run out of the room <laughs> if you want to. I had a very brief flutter of nerves, but I mean, literally seconds. Um, and then I was lying down on the table, feeling relaxed and just focused on my breathing Um had really great communication with everyone in the room, particularly my the anaesthetist who kind of stays with you um, and is responsible for administering any top-ups, um, you know, be it pain relief or anything else. I'm actually not sure exactly what I was given when, <laughs> but he just told me, if you feel off, you will likely become aware of it before we notice it on the monitors. You know, they've they check things like blood pressure um, and a dropping blood pressure. You know, you might feel a bit woozy, a bit sick, a bit, you know, something else. Um, if you start to feel those things, he goes, let me know because you'll feel it before something like a blood pressure monitor does. Um, so that was awesome. It meant whenever I felt, yeah, lightheaded or just just anything, I just kind of kept telling him how I was feeling out loud as it was happening and he, I guess, was able to make adjustments <laughs> in line with that so that I felt good. So on in moments when I say said to him, oh, I feel a bit woozy or lightheaded, he would do something. And then not long afterwards, I felt pretty alert and good. <laughs> um, he administered anti-sickness medication preventatively. So before I felt any nausea or sickness, because he knew how anxious I was about that. And I was really appreciative of that. That was the most important thing to me. Um, whereas I got the impression from a consultation I'd had the day before, they kind of said, if you feel it, we'll give you some. And I remember thinking, oh, that's not good enough. <laughs> Please give it to me just ahead of time, just to make really sure because I won't be able to relax otherwise. So I experienced zero nausea, zero vomiting, um, at any point, uh, during my hospital stay and or afterwards, um, which is, which was a, a dream for me because that had just been, yeah, so awful when I had been, been pregnant. Um, and yeah, so I had really great communication with everyone. And then, yeah, before you know it, um, the surgeon did offer to kind of lower the curtain so we could watch the birth, um, of our son, I, we, in the moment we declined <laughs> because A, my husband is quite squeamish when it comes to blood and I was a little bit concerned for him. I also was concerned knowing my fear of nausea. I just didn't know how I would respond to maybe seeing more than I had wanted to, even though I have seen cesarean births up close as in I've seen, you know, children being born out of the, um, ab abdomen 
um, in videos before and in other people's birth stories. I wasn't sure how I would handle it, seeing it from my own body. Um, I think now with hindsight, I feel more confident. I think I probably could have and it would have been amazing. But in the moment, I just, that was too much. <laughs> so I said no, but they delivered him. Um, he was born with a full head of hair. That's the first thing anyone says when they, oh, hang on a second. That was just the postman at the door. <laughs> so I've just briefly um, collected the post. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, people always say, oh, the baby has such a good head of hair. <laughs> um, and that he really, really does. Um, anyway, so um, baby was with me in no time. Um, they did a little bit of cleanup and uh, my husband was, was with him and holding him. And, um, and then he was brought over to me. Um, again, uh, I remember afterwards thinking, how do I feel about that? For some people with a C-section, I think they feel so strongly, you know, baby should immediately be placed onto their chest, um, and might have been quite distressed not being with baby immediately. I, 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 I just didn't have that experience. I, in the moment, I remember just, I was, I was obviously still on the operating table and I could hear, the baby crying really loud and really strong straight away and all I was crying tears of joy because I just thought oh my goodness he sounds so healthy you know they they told me straight away oh it's a big baby <laughs> and all I remember thinking was oh my goodness he's big he's strong he's breathing he's screaming um you know he it he you know it was vitality. It was life, and 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 that's all I wanted for him. Um, so yeah, just as I was hearing him cry and and hearing my husband's voice going, "Oh my gosh, he's here! He's here!" and um, you know, and holding him and and seeing my husband and the baby bond, you know, and have those first few moments together, and I just, oh gosh, there it goes the door again okay be right back it's that time of morning when all of the deliveries are coming in and out of the building um and me getting up a lot has also unsettled baby a little bit so i'm not sure how much time i still have <laughs> to tell stories but um suffice it to say you know within a few minutes baby was on me and we were moving into the recovery room for that golden hour of skin to skin and we had an opportunity to nurse and yeah just be together as a family uh, you know that would have been by 11 a.m or so um yes hello baby i'm just doing the podcast <laughs> um <laughs> i'm obsessed with my own baby i know that everyone is actually i shouldn't say that i you know bonding can be a tough experience but um yes hello oh my goodness <laughs> um but uh yeah really positive we stayed in the hospital for one more day of recovery um and then I was discharged the next day so that would have been probably about 36 hours after the procedure um we were able to go home um I will say this I didn't get out of bed or walk at all until the next morning um and I was I was really scared when I did <laughs> I was really scared to go to the toilet <laughs> um not uh, not to go to the actual toilet itself I should say hello baby are you okay hang on let me just pick you up so that you're a bit more comfortable yeah okay got baby in a slightly better position i think but you might hear him oh hmm. <laughs> uh, see the last five minutes of the podcast are representative of what postpartum life has been like which is getting 30 seconds to do anything yes is difficult isn't it <laughs> anyway Listen, let me tend to baby for a little bit and then I'll do a wrap up. But I'll say, oh, are we going to have a cry now? All right. I think he needs some food. I'll be right back.
So I'm just feeding baby, which means that you might hear some feeding noises, some panting noises, some grunting noises in the background. Isn't that right? There you go. Um, <laughs> but I'll bring the birth story to a close there. All I will say is I had an incredibly positive experience and I was very lucky to have a great recovery as well. I had no complications afterwards. I've healed really, really well. Um, yeah, and I'm, you know, I, I shared last week at four weeks postpartum, I've, I've been out walking, I've rejoined the gym. I'm not doing vigorous exercise yet. I'm at the gym just walking on an incline and kind of mainly getting a workout by walking around the gym and <laughs> taking an inventory of what of what equipment they have at the gym and using their meditation room but it's something you know it gets me out of the house and I'm feeling excited um you know I'm gonna go for my uh six week postpartum check next week and hopefully get the okay <clears throat> excuse me from my GP to um start engaging in a little bit more exercise um but overall a really really positive experience um so I hope um I hope that's helpful for anyone who is hoping to have a baby one day, who is currently pregnant, um, just to hear a, a story, a positive birth story, um, you know, um, and, and one, you know, where, you know, things were changing on the fly and we didn't go with any of my original birth plan, <laughs> um, you know, and um, and maybe also to feel empowered if you are overdue um, in terms of what your decision making process might look like. Like I said, I felt like I had three options in front of me um, and I, I, I was very aware that um, I was very aware... I, I don't know if this is the right thing to say. I, I guess there was part of me that was worried that I would be judged for my choice and my preference by the healthcare staff, by the medical staff at the hospital. Um, but I really wasn't. Um, and, I, and I feel so proud of myself. That's probably the best moment in all of it for me is that I really tuned into... Um, I don't really like to use this expression, but tuned into my truth <laughs> I was honest with myself and the people around me and said listen if I'm really honest this is what's calling out to me and this is what I want um you know and then and then advocating for myself and going for it so yeah that that was the thing that was a game changer for me um in the whole process anyway my um my word of the week um as you know I've been kind of working my way through a little ABC of body positivity ever since season two I have this little flip book <laughs> body positivity flip book um my word of the week this week is embrace and I'm gonna use it in twofold one embracing just the rhythm of postpartum life you know like even during this podcast. Um, the reason I have so many deliveries and I'm blessed and grateful for it is people are sending gifts. <laughs> people are sending us food. <laughs> um, so the door is always going. Um, baby is always feeding or needing a nappy change. Actually, that could be a really fun sound effect that you might hear because it's common for babies to go to the toilet quite loudly during a feed. So... <laughs> Um, 10 bingo points if you hear that <laughs> um, but uh, yeah baby is always needing to be fed needing nappy change needing love and cuddles you know he'll often just cry and be fussy if he just is tired or you know wants to be close to mom or dad um, so yeah very often can you kind of plan and guarantee time um, in the way that you used to but I'm learning to embrace that and go with it and trust that, you know, I think in the first few weeks, I always used to think, oh my goodness, you know, if baby needs something every two seconds, when am I going to eat? When am I going to sleep? When am I going to shower? And what I'm learning now is eventually you will. 
you know, you might be delayed by an hour, sometimes two, sometimes three. <laughs> sometimes you won't have breakfast until noon, even when you've been up since seven. But you will eat, you will shower, you will sleep eventually, <laughs> even if it's only for a short amount of time. Um, so I'm learning to just kind of let go of my control need once again in life and um, and just go with the rhythm of baby. Um, so I'm yeah embracing postpartum life in that sense. In terms of embracing my postpartum body, yeah, this is a tricky one. This is a tricky one because it can mean so many things. Um, it's both embracing, I guess, how you look, but also how you feel. Um, and one of the hardest parts actually for me is actually the nursing element uh, of it. It's the leaking the engorgement the um all of the above <laughs> that um that has been tough and I'll be honest about that and say I I probably still need to do a bit of embracing there because at the moment um it has gotten better but I just that has been the hardest adjustment I, I as someone who hadn't given birth before I got the impression that for everyone all of the challenge was around the tummy, right? Oh, the stretch marks and the loose skin and the weight gain. Um, and that I have been less stressed about. Maybe it's because previously in life I have already gone through periods of stretch marks and loose skin and weight gain and weight loss, um, which I've talked about, sep you know, completely separate to childbirth. Um, in fact, on occasions when I've been to um, beauty treatments where, you know, a beauty therapist has seen more of my body. I've actually had someone say to me once before, oh, you've had a baby, um, from looking at my tummy. And I said, no, 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 I just, um, I lost a lot of weight once that I lost about a hundred pounds in weight, um, back in 2018. Um, so I wasn't really, um, yes, hello. <laughs> are you enjoying your milk? Yeah, you sure are. There's a little bit more left to go, sir, if you'd like some. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I hadn't, re I hadn't really been so worried about that. I didn't anticipate lots of new changes that I hadn't faced before. Um, but some of the other changes, so for me in particular, everything relating to breastfeeding um, or nursing or milk making, should we say, and that area of the body, that took me by surprise and is something I found tough. Not, not, just, um, not just if you actually consider the breasts themselves, but also everything that that does for your back. <laughs> it hurts my shoulders, it hurts my upper back, um, my arms and shoulders feel achy as well. So I think that is is an area that's new and that I'm still learning to embrace. But one thing that I am doing, mm, wow, you finished every single last drop of that. In fact, it might be time to increase your bottle sizes. Um, supposedly, he's going through a growth spurt around this time, so he might be ready to have a few extra ml at each feed because he is comfortably finishing these bottles now where he struggled a week or so ago yeah i'm talking about you <laughs> anyway um one thing that i am doing though i um am making a little collage which i think i talked about last week relating to breastfeeding and nursing i ordered myself some sticker packs off of etsy some enamel pins what else did i get a few other things just to really champion and support and affirm those choices and just celebrate this time in in my life so i'm learning to embrace and i'm learning to celebrate and i'm feeling a lot more confident um but it's a it's a it's a journey um i'll i'll say that and yeah, and I think, you know, one that will continue for a long time. This is really just a moment in time, and I probably haven't even really had that much time to even think about that yet. I've been so busy tending to the needs of baby that I'm only really just starting to notice myself and my own body again, <laughs> you know. Uh, and maybe as I start to go to the gym a bit more and spend a bit more time just with myself, um, a bit more 
feeling and response will come um, on that on that topic. But that's me for now. Last thing I forgot to say before I wrap up for for the day was what was the role of yoga in my birth story? <laughs> I was so wrapped up. Um, it was breathing. It was definitely breathing. I did talk about that state of kind of hyper focus and going somewhere in the mind when they were preparing my spinal injection. And even during the procedure itself, you know, for me, the risk was that I would just lie there thinking, oh my God, what if I'm sick? What if I'm sick? What if I'm sick? And that that would distract from the experience of birth um, because that phobia is, is really, really intense and debilitating for me. Um, and I think in that moment, in those moments, you know, in that hour, um, really honing my mental practice, my mindfulness practice, my meditation practice was everything, um, was really, really, really powerful and continues to be powerful because being told you need to take it easy to not lift anything, not do housework, to stay in bed, stay with baby, not be too busy, um, you know, not just for hours, but days, weeks. Um, that's a mental practice. Um, that is a mental practice. And I'm thankful for the years that I've meditated and practiced mindfulness because that muscle, that mental muscle was there for me when I needed it. Um, and I would say as much as I, think it is hugely important for anyone to be physically preparing for labor um, and life postpartum. You need to be strong to look after a baby. You are going to be carrying around anywhere from kind of five pounds to 10, 11 pounds <laughs> with you getting up and down off of the floor and um, carrying them in one arm while you use your other to you know try and make yourself some food or get a glass of water or whatever it is that you need to do. Um, you will need strength postpartum. So the, the physical aspects of prenatal yoga are hugely important, but mindfulness meditation. Um, and the tricky thing is with things like mindfulness and meditation, you don't always know in life when you're going to need it. <laughs> it tends to be in those high stakes crisis moments, which if you're lucky, quote unquote, you'll have some foresight over. But so often in life, we don't, you know, these things kind of hit us when we least expect them. And, um, even though I knew I was going to have a baby and that it would be intense, I it, it still felt very sudden and out of the blue when I was in that situation. Um, you know, things happened quite quickly. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that. And if you're thinking about ways in which to strengthen your own yoga practice, um, I mean, you know, this episode happens to be dedicated to the process of, of labor delivery birth, um, but I could tell you a million stories and a million different episodes of when I've needed it for other circumstances in life. Adding a meditation practice, um, to your practice, I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, I really, I really couldn't. And it, and it's a discipline the same way that physically training is a discipline. Um, I think people expect to meditate and always feel really relaxed and wonderful <laughs> and drawn to it. And yeah, you know, that can be true, but I find it as much of a, of a discipline as I do physically training, you know, going for a run, doing anything else. It's, it's a practice. It's a mental muscle that you're building. Uh, and it's, it's a type of training that you do, <laughs> you know, regardless of the style of meditation that you choose. So, um, also, you know, be, be prepared for that. It's not, it's not a spa trip. <laughs> um, and uh, if it feels like hard work at times, um, you're not doing it wrong, you know, um, so so stick with it. So um, that's that's all I'll say on, on mindfulness and and meditation. Well, that is the birth story wrapped. All of my deliveries, I hope, have arrived for the day and I have a happy, sleeping, well-fed baby in my arms. Phew! I win five mum points for the day. <laughs> um, 
looking forward to next week's episode. Things that I'm looking forward to in life and in yoga in the next week. The next week honestly is a period of anticipation because I am told that the week after I might be able to return to running. Um, I might be able to return to some slightly more high impact activities. Um, A lot of things in yoga as part of that, you know, even some of the transitions that you do um, from a forwards fold backwards into chaturanga. I typically do that with a little hop, skip and or a jump. At the moment, I haven't been attempting um, that at all uh, in an abundance of caution. So um, being able to return to just some of the movement patterns that just bring me so much joy. And let's see if they still bring me joy in my new postpartum body. I could have uh, tension, aches and pains that mean that I like to move differently now than I did uh, once before. But um, I'm really excited for that. And the other thing I'm excited for is baby development so in the next couple of weeks and I'm already sensing it a little bit I am told that baby will start to interact with me a little bit more vocally so at the moment baby really loves it when we make specific sounds um, and do specific things with him but we're starting to get the impression that he sometimes wants to respond he certainly mimics some of our facial expressions he smiles when we smile and that kind of thing Um, but I am told that soon he'll begin to make noises in reaction to us. So if we tell him something, even without understanding any of it, he might respond with a little gurgle (laughs) or a little, um, vowel sound like an ah, or, you know, something like that. And, um, so we're being encouraged as parents to be prepared to start having some really good chats with the baby, (laughs) um, and just kind of start babbling with him, which I'm, Oh, I'm so excited about. I'm so excited. We've been loving story time with him and, you know, all various different things, even if it's just completely lost on him at this stage. We are loving it. So um, I'm excited for for more of that. So stay tuned. By the time I do the podcast episode next week, I think um, I have my appointment very early in the morning with the GP next Friday. So I reckon I'll be recording probably later that day. Um, or if I can't help myself and I'm rushing immediately to the gym to go for a a test jog, let's see, um, then I might be recording over the weekend. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but hopefully by the time you next hear from me, I will have gotten the okay from the GP to start to return to some of those activities. And I'm getting excited goosebumps just thinking about it because it's not just the time after you've delivered, it's all of pregnancy and, you know, it's been the best part of a year. Um, so, uh, I can't, I can't, can't, can't wait. Um, anyway, hope you have wonderful weeks ahead of you, uh, wonderful, uh, moments of yoga and meditation. And perhaps you check out my yoga Nidra, um, sessions on Spotify and, uh, I'll speak to you soon.